Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and I am the show's host. On this show, we talk about how complicated healthcare is, not just in the U.S., but all around the world. We all kind of hold a piece of the big, huge 30,000-piece puzzle, and I like to talk to guests about the puzzle piece that they hold on to. So I'd like to give today's guest an opportunity to introduce herself. Go for it. Thank you so much, Joy. So my name is Rupan Gill. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm co-founder and executive director of Vitala Global, a Canadian not-for-profit organization where we are co-creating digital platforms with women and girls living in challenging contexts around the most stigmatized issues around sexual and reproductive health with the focus on abortion. I'm also an obstetrician-gynecologist based out of Toronto at the University of Toronto and have um, a subspecialty training in advanced abortion care and complex family planning. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. And I like all of that is important to talk about. So which would you like to chat? I think I want to tackle um, complex living in conditions. Okay? How do you address that? And in what context um, are we talking about around the world, in the US, both? Yeah, Both great and. question. Yes. <laughs> Both and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when we started Vitala, you know, one of our, our products, it's called Aya Contigo. So it's a digital abortion companion that we launched in Venezuela about a year ago. So when Vitala was started, myself and my co-founder, we both have worked with, you know, Doctors Without Borders. We've worked in very challenging contexts ourselves as emergency obstetrician gynecologist. So we had seen, you know, firsthand folks dying from unsafe abortions. We saw people dying in maternal, other maternal complications that are completely preventable. And so part of this intention of starting Vitala was A, to address that, but also to say that you can have these quality digital platforms or quality solutions be developed, embedded within community in some of these contexts, addressing some of these most stigmatized issues. And we wanted to prove that. So we we started this work. We have this project in Venezuela. We co-created Aya Contigo with over a thousand Venezuelan women, over a dozen grassroots organizations. We launched it a year ago. We just celebrated our one-year anniversary. And 
by building this trust and really sort of understanding the context, which for the listeners that are listening in, Venezuela is a legally restrictive setting in terms of the abortion laws there. It is a country that has been facing a complex humanitarian crisis. There's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of amazing people doing amazing work. And there's a, a really significant feminist network as well. So we were able to work under the guise of like a harm reduction tool or model. And now that we've done this, we've proven it, we've you know engaged over 3,000 users, we are now looking at, since the fall of Roe v. Wade in the United States, bringing our app and our solution to Latinas, Latinx folks, BIPOC communities there. Um, and then we're also looking at other countries within Latin America. Okay, I have a a kinship with Venezuela. Like my ex-husband was and his family were from Venezuela. I was actually able to visit in 2012 to kind of explore, which was a scary time. So like have, having an understanding of like actually being in that country and the safety issues that are there. I'm curious about the legal aspect. Like if there's legal restrictions there, is it illegal to have the app for harm reduction sake? Like what is the what are the politics around that? Yeah, I know it's like, uh, that's a common question we get just because it is a legally restrictive setting and it can be quite challenging. So in Venezuela, women can access an abortion, but only to save their life. However, what works in our favor is that information is not illegal in Venezuela. In other places, you know, around the world, there are restrictions. Like Guatemala has a law that's saying that they even restrict what you can say about abortion. We know in Texas now, there's all of this aiding and abetting stuff. So depending on the context, right? So in Venezuela, we are able to provide the information and we're not, that's not illegal. And that's what we're doing. So Aya Contigo is a digital companion providing the support and also providing the um, psycho-emotional and social support as well for our users. So in that way, it can work. And then the other piece of it is, is that we have really been very like deliberate and thoughtful about like our safeguarding and our cybersecurity policies that we have in place as well. So that is done in partnership with other organizations like legal counsel, et cetera. I'm curious about how people find you, like especially if there is, I mean, is it something that they could just Google and and they would they have to know exactly what they're looking for in order to find you or would it just show up? I don't know if that question makes too much sense, but I just imagine that in places where information is not easily accessible, like how do they get to you? No, that's that's a really great question. So there's a few things like what we have done, like with when we started the whole process of like building Aya Contigo, it was done in building trust first with like the folks that are on the ground. So whether it's feminist collectives or a big sexual and reproductive health provider. And through that, in terms of building trust, understanding the networks, they are one of our ways of bringing in referrals to AYA. So, for example, the big sexual and reproductive health provider, they don't um, provide abortion care, but they provide the counseling, they'll provide the information, and then they refer like users to us and then we can support them. So it's through our partners. The other way they find out is through word of mouth just from one another. And then we've also been doing a lot of work in terms of like our marketing and SEO as well in terms of blogs. And so we have blog writers that are writing around this topic and then just ensuring that, and then have a very good social media presence as well. So through the social media marketing and management of that. So these are the kinds of ways that we're bringing traffic to Aya Contigo. Okay, the other questions that I have are, 
what is the user experience like? And at what point are they are they accessing you way before they're actually experiencing? And I mean, there must be a lot. Like, I guess as a user who is using that app, how do they engage? How long is the engagement? Is it a one day thing? Is it prolonged over time? Is it leading up to an event? Is it after the event? Yeah, no, great. great. Yeah, I can actually like maybe share more like what Aya Contigo, maybe I'll give more context if I share like what Aya Contigo does. Yeah. So Aya is basically like your you know, your friend, your amiga, your coach that's like in your pocket and is taking you step by step in terms of self-managing your own abortion. So whether that's from self-assessing that you can, you're eligible to do the abortion all the way to self-assessing that you've successfully completed it. And so it's taking you like step by step through that entire process. So when a user enters the app, it's basically like talking to you like it's your friend and every way, every, like even the illustrations, even the way that we have like written the content, it's like that. So really feels very friendly. The other piece is that we have a virtual chat that's embedded within the app because the app on its own in terms of providing information, we realize it's not like it, like the app is not the panacea. You need a virtual, you need human connection. And so we have this virtual chat piece where our users are connecting with four counselors real time within, within the app. That piece about having those counselors is really to provide sort of that psycho-emotional and social support because there's a lot that folks are facing in terms of stigma, in terms of connecting with like, you know, and, and managing this complex e- ecosystem. So that's how they're like engaging with it. And then the other pieces, we have a whole thing around personalized contraception tool so they can answer a few questions and then that gives some information on their contraceptive method that would be best for them. And everything is like, I like to highlight this often because I've worked for the WHO as well. And what we really feel and believe is that A, that women themselves can self-manage their own abortions as long as they're given the right information and that they can be connected to a provider if and when they need it. But also that not only is it about averting like unsafe abortions or like the deaths or morbidity around that, but it's also about reproductive autonomy. So what type of experience are we providing them? Is it the type of experience that is of quality, that they feel supported? And so that that way it helps them and empowers them in the long run. Now, what? okay, so now let's transition to the United States because it's complicated territory. How are you guys navigating all of the changes, especially as it's differs state by state. I've actually been finding it super well optimistic in the sense that there's so many amazing people that are working and like fighting the good fight in the United States that we have been connected to. And particularly since we have this value add that our app is in Spanish, that we created it with Venezuelans, that it's like, you know, for Latinas by Latinas, it is like an you know, an opportunity because in the, in the U.S., there's very few resources that have been Spanish created first, right? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a lot that are in English and then get translated. And so I think what's been nice is we, we've been chatting with all these partners and folks are seeing a role for our work within this ecosystem. And through these partnerships is how we're keeping up to date, like with everything that's happening, because these folks that we, and this is how we did our work in Venezuela too, right? Like we are mindful and thoughtful of the fact that, you know, I'm not Venezuelan. So it's really important to connect with these partners and allow them to see how the app could 
work and then open the doors for us. And we're seeing that happening with various different partners on the ground in different states. We have conversations with even folks and providers within Texas, right? Just being very thoughtful of what that could look like and you know does would it even make sense would it be safe like we're we're very thoughtful and mindful of this before we're going to launch aya in the u.s we're going to do so the it's research te- it's technically not launched yet in the u.s no okay. our goal is the end of 2023 so we want to okay. offer it in spanish and english we're wanting to do some user research and testing with um, latinas latinx and bipoc communities we wanted to engage like the gen z population as well and really get those folks on board that are interested in like advocacy and activism to be you know champions of the our work so there's a lot we're doing right now that's helping us to move the needle forward to get aya available in the united states well the other question i have you, you touched on it a second ago what are you looking at that is hopeful because i feel like a lot of people are starting to feel a little bit hopeless around like losing rights on a daily basis like what, yeah. <laughs> what is it that we can look to as a guiding light for hope because i think that's a really important perspective to keep. Yeah, no, definitely. It's yeah, every day we're hearing a new thing. I, you know, just even today I know with Mifepristone being under attack in in the United States, we've also faced these challenges every day with things happening in Latin America or even I mean globally, like women's rights are under attack. But at the same vein, there have been so many things that have been, you know, progressing like in Colombia where the law changed and it's one of the most liberal laws now in the region for women's uh, right to abortion. So what I would say, and I've been saying this often, the thing that's keeping me hopeful is all of the, it's the connections and like the collaborations, even just having this conversation with you, right? Like we connected through an event at HitLab, which Mm -hmm. I feel like even that community. So it's a lot, what's keeping me hopeful is connection and community, that there are people doing this work, that we are mission aligned, that we are really thinking about that person that's, you know, requiring care. And we all want to see a better world in terms of women's health in general. So I feel that keeps me going, keeps me the fire. So that's what I would say. This is kind of pointed, but I feel like it's important to ask, especially for people who are, who oppose abortion and that they're, how do you, you were, you know, speaking about harm reduction, like what is your go-to point for people who are on the opposite side of the aisle and not proponents of the importance of this work? Yeah. So the aunties, I guess, like how to manage (laughs) that. You know, it's very interesting because I come, I was just from a personal standpoint, I'm South Asian, I'm Punjabi, like I have, there's so much stigma in my own community. It wasn't until like the last couple of years where my own family was aware that I am an abortion provider and that I provide care for folks. It took them some time to even, like they were okay with certain cases where I was providing care, you know, but then they weren't comfortable when it would be like something that's just for like, you know, from a choice standpoint, if it was a medical reason, it was okay. And how do I, you know, sort of deal with this? I think, and the other side of it is too, is that I've worked for Doctors Without Borders where they did a lot of work in the last like five years, five, just over five years in terms of really getting abortion talked about and in the humanitarian agenda as well. And there was a lot of resistance. And so what do you do about that? I think, The way that I address it is try not to go in like full force aggressive, right? Like I think we need to be able to sit at the table 
and be able to table and be able to table these different perspectives and understand where people's values are at. Like everyone has a limit in terms of where they are willing to go. Even someone who could be all about this work, right? There's still limits. So we need to be able to have some compassion and empathy and sit at the table together to understand where those values and attitudes are coming from. However, I will say on the flip side, there is also the folks that will just not change. I think we see that in the politicians in the U.S. And the key is just to provide the evidence. I think I that's one other piece because I am a researcher and I really value some of my colleagues that are in the United States, like Dr. Gazale Moyeti, who's from Texas. Like she is working hard and what she's doing is providing the evidence, right? Abortion is healthcare. It is evidence-based. We have all the information and data to support it to be safe and effective and the many reasons that folks need it. So I think like if we can center the arguments around that is how we need to approach it. But we do our best because sometimes you just cannot change change folks, but you hope for the best because we have seen it that people do change when we see laws being changed and decriminalization happening in other countries. Can we talk about the lawsuit in that's happening in Texas? So there's the four women that are coming up and they basically have been affected negatively through from their new laws. And it's not that any of them actually didn't want their children or the, the babies. It's just that they are, they, it's medically necessary. And then the, the doctor has to choose between saving the life of the baby or the mom. Maybe you know more. (laughs) On this topic, it's really kind of highlights the need for this evidence-based piece and how politicians are just coming up with these like sort of blanket laws without really understanding the gravity of what that could mean. So I think these folks that are coming forward with this lawsuit are highlighting highlighting that, right? Like the fact that if somebody has an abnormal pregnancy, I myself as a provider, I take care of all sorts of folks people who have like, you know, multiple anomalies or like the fetus is not going to survive outside of the womb is actually torture to that that person who is carrying that pregnancy because you are forcing them to carry a pregnancy that then labor, have that baby, and then it's going to not survive. So I think it's really important that these kinds of cases, because these are stories and sometimes stories can be very powerful. And so to have this lawsuit come forward in this way, I hope somehow it will move the needle. Coming from a place of advocating for having more women at the table where decisions are made, this is a prime example of why that's important. If the people who are making the decisions don't understand the consequences and they don't themselves actually have to face them, they're less inclined to care, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah. So I applaud the work that you're doing. Tell me what you want to share. Like without me prompting you, what is it that you want people <laughs> yeah. to know about? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, like the the work we do, I mean, I feel very proud, like, you know, running Vitala. I always, because one thing I've been noticing is like folks are like reaching out to us a lot, wanting to work with us. And I think it's the organizational culture that we've also created. And what I want to share is that this work is really hard, right? Like all of us that are in this doing advocacy activism as providers, even in folks that are doing the fundraising, the folks that are giving the money, there is a huge burnout. And like, and you ask me the question around hope. And I will say like the flip side of it is finding ways that we also are taking care of ourselves and one another. So that's something that I wanted to share because 
to be able to continue this fight and to continue doing this work, I really value that need for taking the space and time to take care of myself. And that also means taking care of my staff, taking care of the people that are doing the work as well, right? And so I just wanted to share that because that's part of like another hat I wear as somebody who does kundalini yoga and breath work and meditation. And I'm trying to bring it into spaces so it doesn't, it's not separate to our work, but it is part of our work to deal with the work that's in our inner worlds so that we can be better activists in the outer world. So I just wanted to kind of share that. That makes a lot of sense because what you're doing is almost in and of itself traumatic. Like you probably cannot continue doing it without at some point setting it down to take the time to take care of yourself. And I also really like the idea of community care. Exactly. You also, the trust is involved in that because if you're going to be able to take a break and like replenish your resources, like you basically need to trust that the folks in your community can carry the baton while you're doing that and that it will still move forward. But like, what does... You mentioned a little bit about your self-care, but let's talk about community care. What does that look like for you and your community? So one thing that we do in terms of the self-care side is that I implemented something about a year ago because I really felt just from my own personal experience, being a doctor, you know, going through med school, working for Doctors Without Borders, working for WHO, I felt like there wasn't enough spaces for folks to yeah, be able to be taken care of. And so we, this is what I do with my team. So we have this session, I run them through stuff, whether it's a meditation, we do some yoga, we'll have a conversation, we talk, we kind of get a sense of where people are at. And that also sets the tone for the entire month. So we have been doing this regularly. And then sometimes my team will ask me if they would like another session and then I'll do something for them. So this community care, like that kind of sets the tone. But then the way we run our organization is quite circular. It's not like a vertical or horizontal. Like we have a lot of folks have a lot of autonomy. And I think that in itself also builds a lot of trust amongst the community and that they feel cared for. They feel that they're in a safe space. They can trust us and they can share. I think that's very important to share things that are on their mind. And that a lot of it comes down to us offering a lot of these practices as part of the workplace. That's amazing. So can you tell me what would be the best way for people to support you? I mean, it might be to reach out and say, how can I support you? But is it follow you on social or connect with you on LinkedIn? Or is there something, can they donate to your cause? Yes, I was like, please. (laughs) We're fundraising, uh, especially as we have these big plans to like enter the United States and Mexico in the coming year. So please, 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 yes, you can donate. We are able to provide tax receipts as well for both US donors and Canadian donors. So if you go to our website, site, you know, www.vitalaglobal.org. We have a support us um, section there. So check out our website, uh, follow us on Instagram at Vitala Global. We also have at Ayacontigo app on Instagram. LinkedIn is a very good place to connect with me personally, and I can get in touch with you. And uh, we're on Twitter. So we have all of those socials and we have Vital on LinkedIn as well. And then people should be on the lookout for when it is available for download in the US. Is that true? 100%. Yeah. Stay on the lookout. You know, we are definitely full force working on that with the aim to launch by the end of this year. Wonderful. I cannot wait to see your progress and continue supporting you and cheering you on from afar. Thank you so much for the work that you do. It's so important. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation. 
Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you, and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast, or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.